0: Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the No Silicast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever-so-slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, May 3rd, 2020, and this is show number 782. Well, thanks to Steve's request last week about the 15-year anniversary show, a lot of folks have sent in their audio recordings about how they found the NoCillaCast and what they get out of listening. I'm floored by how lovely these recordings are. If you'd like to talk about your experiences with the show, please don't forget to send them in soon. We have decided that the 15-year show will be on Sunday, May 17th, so make sure you get them in in, say, the next week or so. May 13th is the actual anniversary, but it seemed like doing it the Sunday before wouldn't be right, so we're going to do it the Sunday after. And thank you to everybody who sent in recordings already. They, They mean the absolute world to me and Steve. Well, we've got a twofer on Chit Chat Across the Pond this week. First of all, Adam Angst has been publishing Tidbits for 30 years, so I asked him to come on the show to talk about that journey. Now, while we technically had an agenda, this conversation wandered into all kinds of fun topics like why Adam still goes to the same dentist office even though the dentist left and why he doesn't know how many words per minute he types. I found a kindred spirit in Adam in his ability to keep doing something he loves for a very long time. I smiled and laughed, and I enjoyed the heck out of recording this episode. It was one of my most enjoyable chit-chats, and I've had a lot of fun chit-chats. Anyway, you can find this episode in your podcatcher of choice as part of Chit Chat Across the Pond Lite, and of course, you can always listen over at podfeet.com as Chit Chat Across the Pond episode 636. The second chit chat across the pond I recorded this week was Barbu Shots back with Programming by Stealth, installment 95 of X. It was called Better JavaScript Class Attributes. This week, Bart explains how to give our JavaScript classes better data attributes via a very powerful JavaScript feature, getters and setters. I'd heard about those before and I didn't know what they were. I was excited to learn that. On my first read through the notes, though, for the episode, my head was spinning a bit, but Bart explains things so well using concrete examples like a circle with a radius, even I could follow that analogy mostly. Anyway, because he was so good at explaining it, I think he got it through to me. When I told him up front that I struggled a wee bit when reading the show notes, he made me feel better by saying, this is the pointy end, which I think he meant meant it was a difficult concept, so I felt a little bit better about it. In the end, it made a lot of sense, and I see the reasons for the tools he explained. I highly recommend you read Bart's terrific tutorial show notes at bartificer.net slash pbs95 as you listen along at Chichat Across the Pond on podfeet.com or while listening along in your podcatcher of choice at Programming by Stealth. This week, I had the pleasure of being a guest on Chord Killers with Brian Brushwood and Tom Merritt. I was trepidatious about being on this show because these guys know so much about, you know, the background of every single TV show, every producer, every movie, every director, history of the networks, history of the convoluted paths of the different streaming services. And, you know, I'm over here watching Andy Griffith on Netflix. Anyway, I still had a blast as we talked about how Netflix's uh, new subscriber growth is insane, and we try to forecast what it will look like in the future. We also talked about the pushed-out releases of several new superhero movies, and we wondered what the world is coming to when Scooby-Doo goes straight to digital purchase. We've even mused about what movie theaters of the future will look like. Go check it out at ChordKillers.com or look for ChordKillers in that now-famous podcatcher of choice. It's episode number 309. Back in 2011, Randall Munro, the author of the fantastically nerdy and hilarious comic strip XKCD, wrote a comic he calls Password Strength. In the illustration, he explains how by forcing humans to create complex passwords, we've actually encouraged them into creating easy-to-guess passwords that are terribly difficult to remember. Being a nerd, he includes how many bits of entropy are in these awful passwords and then explains how if we just string four random common words together, we'd have much more difficult passwords to crack that are actually possible to remember. In the example strong password he uses, uh, the one he uses is correct horse battery staple. And that line has become a staple phrase amongst those who encourage good passwords. Around that same era, Steve Gibson made a very compelling case on the podcast Security Now with Leo Laporte. For the importance of password length over password complexity. I won't even begin to try to explain the math behind it, but I gave a link to the 37-minute explanation in the show notes. Both the XKCD cartoon and Steve Gibson were trying to get across to us that it's possible to create really good passwords that we can actually remember. Bart started noodling these two ideas in combination, XKCD's illustration of how common words can make good passwords, and Steve Gibson on the fact that longer, by definition, is way harder to crack. From these ideas, Bart created a tool to help people create long, strong, and yet memorable and typable passwords. He called his project XKPassWD for a head nod to XKCD. And later on, Bart actually put it up as an open source project on GitHub, calling it crypt-hx, I can't even say it, hsxkpasswd. Anyway, Bart has a full explanation of all the tech behind this tool at bartbooshots.ie, and there's a full link in the show notes. Bart's tool is available as a user-friendly website at xkpasswd.net. Now, I've mentioned this a million times on the show, and Bart and I have talked about it together and the development behind it, but it occurred to me recently that I've never written a guide, you know, a tutorial on how to use XKPassWD. I use it all the time to create my passwords. In fact, I use it so much that it's a pinned tab in Safari so that I can simply click the tiny little square tab and I'm ready to create a password that I will not hate and I can actually type and remember. As you make these long, complex passwords and yet easy-to-remember passwords, I'm hoping that you're using a password manager like 1Password or LastPass. No matter how good your memory is, if you aren't using a password manager, you are bound to reuse passwords or start mutating one of the good ones we're about to create. Unique passwords are critical to keep your stuff safe, and no matter how readable the the passwords are, you simply cannot remember them. So, use a password manager, please. Now I'll remind you again at the end, but creating this tool took Bart a very long time to write and prove the math, and he continues to pay for the server to support it. If you think it's as cool as I do, be sure to hit his donate button to help pay the bills. It's right there on the top at xkpasswd.net. So with that long introduction, let me dig into explaining how to actually use xkpasswd to create strong passwords in a way that you can remember and type. I'm going to walk you through the settings at xkpasswd.net and show you how flexible this tool is to make passwords you won't hate. Oddly enough, I'd like to start at the bottom of xkpasswd. The very last section in the tool is called Generate Passwords. In that section, you'll see a button that says Generate 3 Passwords. When you first go to the website, if you simply click that button, 3 passwords of the default format will be spit out onto the text box next to the button. If one of the three passwords looks like something that, I don't know, makes you laugh or reminds you of something, and it looks like you have the patience for the format length, then simply copy it it and use it. You don't need to follow along with any of the rest of this tutorial, but I bet you're going to want to know what else this tool can do. If you're curious about how good the passwords are that you created by clicking the button, you'll notice a few boxes beside and next to the generated passwords that will tell you something about them. If you want to keep it simple, look at the length. It will say good in green if you've kept it with the defaults. Down below the text box, it will tell you about the entropy of the password. Entropy is a super nerdy term that I learned about in physics that has to do with thermodynamics. But in this context, the term simply means lack of order or predictability. Well, that's what we want in a password, right? We want as little order and as little predictability as possible. Where we fall back into the land of nerds again is in how it's measured. As you'll see when you click the button for the default 3 passwords, it says the entropy is between 157 bits and 236 bits blind and 52 bits with full knowledge. We are not going to worry our pretty little heads about this because Bart helpfully colors these numbers in green if they're good and red if they're not. And the strength will change color too if you pick bad settings. Remember, green good, red bad. Within the Generate Password section, you can use a pull-down to change the number of passwords generated every time you push the button, or you can just obsessively keep clicking the button with three coming out each time. I like clicking it. It makes me feel like I'm in Vegas pulling the handle of a slot machine to see what will come up. As I said, I wait until I see one that makes me laugh or that maybe reminds me of something. Now that you know you can stop listening to me at any point and just start generating passwords, let's explore the rest of the tool starting with the presets. Across the top of XKPassWD, there are eight preset buttons to choose the format of the passwords that will be generated. Each preset is designed to solve a different problem. If you hover over each preset, a pop-up will tell you what problem it is trying to solve. I put them all in the blog post so you can scan them all without hovering. But I'm going to just call out a couple of these examples. One of them says Apple ID. That's a preset respecting many of the prerequisites Apple places on Apple ID passwords, The preset also limits itself to symbols found on the iOS letter and number keyboards, so not that awkward-to-reach symbol keyboard. So that's a really good one for picking your long, strong Apple ID password, which might be one of the most important ones to keep safe. Then, of course, there's the default, and it says the default preset results in a password consisting of three random words of between four and eight letters with alternating case separated by a random character with two random digits before and after and padded with two random characters front and back. We're going to get all into that. I'm going to skip over some of these, um, but one of the ones is a security question preset. So this is to create fake answers to security questions. It's important that you never, ever, ever answer security questions with the right answer. This is how your accounts can easily be hacked. If, for example, the question is, what's your mother's maiden name? This information is easily available on the Internet. Instead, use this preset and get an answer such as, pull Uncle Belgium Dollar Space Meat from XKPasswd. PasswD. It actually gave me that security answer. Isn't that awesome? I mean, come on, that's a great one. And then you put that answer in your security in your um, uh, password manager, and you'll always have it. So just don't ever tell the truth. Use xapasswd.net to to generate those. There's a preset for websites that insist on passwords of only 16 characters. Never ever use that one if you don't have to. There's also one for web 32 that allows up to 32 characters long. Now. He's got one for Wi-Fi passwords, and it'll generate a 63-character long WPA2 key. So most routers allow 64, but some only 63, which is why he does that odd length. But I have a cautionary tale on this 63-character business for your Wi-Fi password. Sure, we have a password manager, so we don't have to type it very often. And our phones offer barcode scanning to other people, so they never have to type it in but I have a super long password on my Wi-Fi router and I have had to type it in on the old style Apple TV remote. You remember the silver one with the buttons to click back and forth to select the characters? I also had to type it into my HP printer, which has a non-touchscreen display that is two and three eighths inches diagonally and it has a QWERTY layout that I had to navigate with up, down, left, right buttons. May have said some non-Girl Scout safe words about Bart when I was typing that in. And mine is only 24 characters long, not 63. Finally, there's the XKCD preset, which generates one similar to the example in the XKCD cartoon we talked about. uh, The, what is it, horse battery staple? I forget the first word. Well, anyway, everybody else does. But anyway, this one creates them just like that, but it has a dash to separate the four random words, and the capitalization is randomized because it needs to add a sufficient entropy to avoid warnings. All right, so now you've got these presets. You can just hit those presets and go to the Generate 3 Passwords. Boom, you can stop listening again. But with a given preset selected, the Settings section presents six different settings that modify how the passwords will be created. Next to each setting is a little plus button, and that invites you to click anywhere on the setting to change the values. Let's walk through the settings using the Apple ID preset as our starting point. You can start with any one of the settings, though. The first setting is the number of words in the password. The Apple ID preset starts with three words of between five and seven letters from the English dictionary. We can modify this from three words to anywhere, say, from two to ten words. I don't know about you, but three sounds like enough. You can change the minimum and maximum lengths of the randomly chosen words from four to twelve characters each. You can play around with these lengths, but if you shorten them, be sure to test your changes by tapping the three gener- generate three passwords button down at the bottom, and watch to make sure the strength is still green for good. All of the I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not being condescending to you. It's what I do. I go oh green good okay I'm good. Anyway, all of the presets use words from the English dictionary. Inside the settings for words, it has a drop down to change the dictionary language, but you'll see that English is the only option. If you want to go crazy with other dictionaries, go check out BART's open source project I mentioned earlier where you can preload other languages' dictionaries. One of the easiest ways to increase the search space for a password hacker is to have both upper and lowercase letters in your password. So instead of 26 characters, it's, it goes to 52 right away, right? But imagine how annoying it would be, especially on a phone keyboard, to type in a password with, say, every other letter capitalized. Just having one in there would make it harder to crack, but remembering where that capital letter is that one is would be too much for our little brains. By default, the Apple ID preset randomly chooses whether to capitalize each word or not. Because it's randomly doing it by word, the password generator may offer you options with all uppercase or all lowercase. This is not a coding error if it happens, that's by design because it's randomly deciding on each word. To ensure you have both upper and lowercase letters, you can choose another option from the dropdown, such as alternating word case or capitalize first letter. If you really want some entertainment, he's got an option to capitalize every letter except the first letter, and he shows you what that's going to look like. I can't imagine anything more annoying than lowercase first letter and all the rest of the letters capitalized. If doing the upper lowercase thing is too much friction for you, there are options to have just lower or just uppercase words in your password. Watch those entropy colors at the bottom when you can generate the passwords, though. Another great way to increase the entropy of a password is to add in special characters. But rather than sprinkle them randomly inside your password where you can't remember where they are, xkpasswd uses them as separators between the words. Having a special character as a separator between words actually makes the password way easier to read and therefore easier to remember. By default, xkpasswd will choose a random character from an alphabet. The alphabet, by definition, or by default, I should say, contains dash, colon, period, and comma. That's the alphabet that it's going to use to choose the separator. These characters are displayed inside little boxes, like the ones where you have to fill in your name on a form and they want to make sure you write clearly. Well, there's a bunch of empty boxes. That kind of invites you to type in more characters to add to the alphabet. You can even delete characters from the alphabet. As you add and delete, the set gets updated real-time up above. For some reason, there's a green plus sign at the far right of the little boxes where you can put the characters in, but it doesn't seem necessary to click it. You can click it if it makes you happy, though. If there's a character that you prefer to type and would like to make your passwords always have that same character, you can change the separator to be a specified character using the drop down, and then type in a character you prefer. While the password would seem as strong whether the separator is chosen randomly or whether you use the same one every time, there is a difference. If someone sees one of your passwords for something you don't really care about, they might be able to figure out the pattern you're using for your passwords and have a better shot at getting into an important account. For example, let's say you tell someone your Wi-Fi password and they notice that you have four words of five characters always separated by hyphens. That gives them a way smaller search space to crack your password for something else. Now of course, if you're not a high-value target, this is probably not a big deal, but something to keep in mind. I think that's what Bart is talking about when he shows us the bits of entropy with full knowledge. Someone knows the pattern, but they don't know exactly what characters are in each slot. In addition to a bunch of words separated by special characters, Bart's password designed with xkpasswd adds a couple of digits, also known as numbers, before and after the words. He calls these padding digits. Now we've added another kind of character, 0 to 9, that's going to make this password a little harder to crack are actually a lot harder to crack by adding these padding digits. By default, the Apple ID preset has two digits before and after, and you can change that from zero to five digits using the pulldowns. Having these padding digits, even just one at the front or back of the password, is yet another easy way to increase the search space for the hacking computer to try to guess your password. I do not advise setting this to zero. You really need some digits in there. The final setting you can change at XKPassWD is padding symbols, Now that's not to be confused with separators or padding digits. That confused me at first. Padding symbols are a special character or more that pads your password at the beginning and end. This section has a lot of options. Just like the separator settings, you can choose a random character for your padding symbols, add to the alphabet, and change it to a specified character. But you can also set it to match whatever is chosen for the separator character. I like that option a lot so I don't have to remember two special characters. You can set the number of padding digits before and after the other characters using the fixed option for padding type. But there's another option in here that's really unusual, I just discovered it when I was uh, writing this up. If you have a goal of making a password that's of a specific length, let's say 32, which is often a guideline for wicked good passwords, you can change the padding type from fix to adaptive using the pull down. This will reveal a field where you can enter the length you want your entire password to be. So let's say you've chosen three words of four characters each with just separators and no padding. That would be a 14-character password, which really isn't long enough without a lot of entropy. By the way, Bart's tool says it's only 89 bits and it only says OK in yellow instead of good in green. Well, if you use the adaptive option and set it to pad to length 20, it'll just add six of the same character to the end of your password. I just tried it and I got main song, uh, main dash, song dash, view in all capital letters and the that went exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point <laughs> six times. So that's actually a, a really good password, but it's pretty obvious how you could remember it. Now, your first thought would be that adding six exclamation marks can't possibly make a good password, but that's where Steve Gibson's lesson in security now comes in. Like I said, I'm not going to go through his full explanation, but the bottom line is it's simply making a password longer makes it a lot stronger, even if you're repeating a character. With only one exclamation point at the end of my password scheme, it was only 96 bits of entropy, but adding six of them made it 128 bits of entropy. So it's way better and way harder to remember. Now I think this option might be the best illustration of what makes a good, strong password. Having all different kinds of characters, upper and lowercase, and lots of characters, even if they're repeated, will get you a good password. Now, there is a danger with repeated ca- characters. Let's say I'm sitting next to you and I see you using all kind of random fingers to type a password and then I see you reach over and hit one key six times, I'm probably going to notice which keys and I'd have an advantage trying to crack it. The last section in settings is really cool if you don't want to use one of the presets. Heck, if you're still with me this far, you must enjoy all these customizations. This section is called Load, Save, Config. If you open it up and click the save config button, it will spit out what's called a dictionary in programming terminology. It's a set of name value pairs that match the settings that you've chosen. For example, if you choose the Apple ID preset and select save config, the text box will say num words colon three word underscore length underscore min colon five, you know, etc. You don't have to be a super nerd to use this config file, but if you want to, you can use it with Bart's crypt hsxkpassd to open his open source project. I think there's a W in there and I've got a typo in my show notes. I will fix that. Anyway, you can use it over in his open source uh, project. But let's say you're just a budding nerdlet. There's still some fun to be had for you with load, save, config. I created a configuration I favor. No, I'm not going to tell you what it is and it's not in any of my examples. Anyway, I created my own configuration and then I tapped on save, config. I then copied what was in the box and I pasted it into a text expander snippet. Instead of having to flip all the switches to get the configuration settings uh, that I like every time I use Bart's tool, now when I come to xkpasswd.net, I can simply type my text expander abbreviation into the little box, hit the load config button, and after that I hit generate three passwords, choose the funniest one, and I'm ready to go. Now, the final piece of information XKPassWD gives you is a nice visual summary of the password scheme you've created. First, it gives you the structure with a series of little boxes. For example, the Apple ID preset says P, which is a padding character, DD, means two digits, Word S, that's the separator, Word S, Word S, DDP. I know that sounds really dopey as I read it out loud, but when you're looking at it, it makes perfect sense. Trust me. Then it tells you the length of the password it will generate, which for the Apple ID preset is between 25 and 31 characters. Now that length variability is because the length of the word was five to seven characters each. Finally, it tells you your character coverage over, uh, which gives you an idea of whether you've got enough types of characters. The Apple ID preset says lowercase ABC, uppercase ABC. That means we have both lower and uppercase uh, letters. It shows zero to nine, showing we use numbers, and then... Just, uh, what is it, dollar exclamation point star, which means we have included special characters. So you get an idea of whether you've got enough characters used. Now, I'm really glad I wrote this up because it made me truly understand every little setting in Bart's XKPassWD tool and how I can modify them. I've been an avid user for ages, like I said, probably since the first time he showed it to me, but I wasn't taking advantage of everything it can do. I hope you'll consider using XKPassWD to generate your passwords so that they're easy for you to type and remember, but hard for computers to crack. I also hope you'll appreciate how much work went into not just the beautiful design of this tool, but the math behind it to make sure it's safe for us to use. With that appreciation, again, please consider pushing the donate button for BART. I push it, and I donate around once a year.
1: Dumb. Dumb. Dumb
2: Dumb question. Dumb question. Dumb question. How do I? What is? Come
1: I always have to.
2: It's time for Dumb Question Corner.
0: Well, this might be my favorite dumb question of all time. It starts in Australia, passes through the United States, saunters into the Netherlands, then hits two spots in Japan, and ends up in our collective distant past. We'll start with the original question from Trevor Drover in Australia.
1: Hi, Alison. I have a dumb question that maybe you or one of the internationally famous castaways can explain. I believe I've found an undocumented keyboard combination, the output of which I don't understand. But what problem were you trying to solve by randomly pressing key combinations, I hear you ask? This could be another dumb question that has no answer. A friend is learning to use pages. If you use pages, you know that when you have an object on a page, you can drag it into position and also drag the handles to resize it. Another option to move the object is to use the arrow keys for small adjustments. If you select the object and click on the arranged pane, the exact size and position can be entered into the appropriate fields. My friend wanted to enter the precise size of an object, then use the keyboard arrows to position it without having to touch the mouse. So I created an arrow and made it five centimeters wide by one centimeter high then went searching for a key combination that would cause the entry to be accepted and exit the box and return control to the object on the page this is when i found option escape did something strange i have no idea what the suffixes mean these include pms ams pm apostrophe s pm am ish sts ths and rds depending on the numeral entered The confusion continues as the Option-Escape key combination only works in the presence of numbers 1 to 12. With your cursor to the immediate right of one of the digits, press Option-Escape and a drop-down list appears. The numbers 1 to 12 can be entered lots of places, such as an email body or subject, but not in the To field, in a search field, in most documents, and when you hit Option-Escape, up pops that window what does it all mean? By the way, the only solution that I could find at present to my friends, pages problem was to use the mouse to once more select the object and then use the keyboard keys. Cheerio for now.
0: Well, I love Trevor's uh, question here. But before we dig in, I do want to elaborate on exactly what Trevor observes when he hits option escape. His description was quite precise, but it's incredibly difficult to describe something clearly that makes no sense. He said that he was typing numbers from 1 to 12 into the size field in pages, and he just happened to hit option escape in his experiments for the other reason. When you replicate Trevor's steps, you'll get a dropdown that is full of what looks like nonsense and sounded like nonsense when he read it out loud. He was using option escape after typing a 1, and it was offering him one PM apostrophe S, 12 PM S, one AM S, and more in this weird dropdown. If you type in a two in that field and hit option escape, you get an equally eclectic list of glop all starting with two, like two AMS, two 2 nd which would be like second, but then today, the number two D-A-Y. Every number you test is a new adventure. I started playing around with this myself and trying at different text fields like Trevor had mentioned, such as in the body of an email. I started noticing a partial pattern. Maybe the 1 to 12 thing had to do with time, like 2 a.m.s is sort of like 2 a.m.? I noticed something else very curious. One of the items in the dropdown for me was 190th, which is the name of a street near my house. Well, around this time, I was chatting with Helma in the Netherlands about it, and she gave it a try. When she typed in the number three and then Option Escape, one item in her dropdown was a very specific Dutch postal code from where she works. Now we have an interesting pattern. The list seems to be influenced by what we personally type. I tried selecting one of the options several times in a row, and I saw that option move up in the dropdown list until it was at the top. But then I found something inexplicable. In my list, but not hers, on the dropdown for one, I saw one dash. Capital C-H-O with a line over it, M-E. Looked like it said chome, but with a long O. I had no idea what this was or even how to draw a horizontal line over an O. I could copy and paste it, but I don't know how to make that happen. I couldn't even find it in the keystrokes available for the Mac, so I copied and pasted it into Google, where I discovered it is the way a city district is described in Japan. Okay, how did that one get in my list? Now I was really getting into this. During the live show last week, I demonstrated this bizarre option escape thing. I noticed that Michael Westbay was in the audience, and I know he lives in Japan, so I asked him to confirm that that 1-chome thing is a city district, and he said it was, but that I was drastically mispronouncing it. The C-H-O-M-E, I think is chomee. And now, um, someone else who's coming up in a moment tried to get me to pronounce the one as though I know how to speak Japanese and can count in Japanese, but I'm not going to do that. Anyway, I knew one more person who would enjoy being baffled by this weird discovery of Trevor's, and that was Kay Lee, who also lives in Japan. I told her about it via Telegram, and I was right that she was intrigued. In fact, I'm going to let her take over the story from here.
2: Yeah, okay, dear, yeah. and I'm definitely a geek. One of the frustrating er Interesting things about being internet buddies with Alice and Sheridan is that we're never in the same time zone, or even the same time of day. Time zones, as we all know from Programming by Stealth, are tricky little buggers, which can lead to, among other things, unusual times for conversations to occur, as well as you realizing days later that you don't quite remember that 3am conversation where you agreed to do a podcast bit. I don't drink, so this kind of thing never happens to me. Anyway, point is, I vaguely remember something about addresses and option escape and virtual machines. Wait, wait, don't tell me. Er, wrong podcast. But I think it's coming back to me. Let me just check my open Safari tabs. Uh, Yeah, here they are. Countless tabs about old operating systems. So let's back up a bit. As she mentioned, Allison messaged me regarding the use of chome in Japanese addresses. I confirmed what Michael had told her and tried to explain some of the uses, including pronunciation and a few examples. She then explained the bizarre nature of option escape auto-completing to various weird phrases. As I experimented a bit, I noticed that in addition to numbers 1 through 12, I could also type something like E-X-C-I-T, and use option escape to get a list of words, including excited, excitingly, excitability, and simply excite, if you enjoy remembering search engines of the late 90s. However, unlike Helma, I was not seeing my Japanese postal code being auto-completed or anything like that, so I suspected that there may be a machine learning aspect to this, code which was added at some point beyond High Sierra. But this opened up a new can of worms. If this wasn't new, and it worked on High Sierra, how far back could we go? To excite, well, okay, so I used Google, but this led me to a macworld.com post from October of 2003, which discussed this exact functionality in macOS 10, version 10.3, Panther. Yes, Panther. This feature is so old, it came on optical media and not even a DVD, but four CDs to boot. I quickly found a few other blog posts about this feature, including one on Daring Fireball from 2006. Meanwhile, Allison discovered that pressing F5 would also replicate the option escape functionality. And that's when the, it's almost 3 a.m., I really should be asleep, but rabbit hole I dug myself into got even weirder. On both the Mac world and Daring Fireball pages, I kept seeing comments indicating that this system-wide feature possibly dates all the way back to Next Step. Yes, Next Step, the predecessor to modern macOS. Well, to heck with sleep, let's fire up Previous— See, because it's Next, so Previous... Oh, never mind. Previous allows you to emulate a NextCube or next station. It's fiddly, and I suspect that me using a Japanese keyboard may possibly be causing slight issues. Nevertheless, I was able to successfully boot into both NextStep 3.1 and OpenStep 4.0, but I was not at all prepared to see the words TEXT EDIT. Appear in a 20 plus year old operating system. Logically, I know that next is where text edit was born. And yet, it was still a surreal experience. Alas, in both Next Step 3.1 and Open Step 4.0, I was unable to replicate the option escape functionality. I tried everything I could think of, including F5, but no dice. But I wasn't about to give up that easily. Back to Alta Vista or I mean Google, and wouldn't you know it, but I found a reference in The Complete Guide to the Next Step User Environment in regards to autocomplete functionality using the escape key in terminal. Quote, next step monitors the text you type in the save and open panels and terminal windows and can assist you in completing long path names. After you have partially entered a path name, press the escape key to have next step completed. For example, if you were to type slash local L and press escape, next step would complete the path name by typing Ibrary for you. And it's true. I was able to replicate this functionality in Terminal. Pressing the escape key does autocomplete directories. Success! I was so... Oh, what's the word? Elated? Enthusiastic? It starts with an E. Maybe I should ask Jeeves. Anyway... So it seems to me that while the direct functionality of option escape does not trace back to the next days, the seed of the idea does. The only lingering question remains, when exactly was the autocorrect functionality added to macOS 10? Panther, 10.2, 10.1, or even before, perhaps in the public beta, or Rhapsody even. Sadly, most of that era seems to be difficult to access via emulation without an actual PowerPC Macintosh or other hardware which I don't own. So for now, the mystery will remain. But hey, at least some of the history has been traced, and I'd bet that one of the friendly and enthusiastic Silly castaways out there has access to the PowerPC era of macOS 10. Right? But with that, I'll throw it back to Allison to wrap up this wild story. And until next time, 이자
0: 케리데시, bye bye. Okay, seriously, how cool is that? Not only do we know what this crazy option escape thing is, we know where it came from. I still don't know why it's invoked with such a weird keystroke. I don't know why it works from 1 to 12, but not 13. Why it changed from escape to option escape somewhere after next step. And why I have a Japanese city district in my list. But I do know that having an international group of friends to pass a problem along from Australia to the US to the Netherlands to Japan is really, really cool. And by the way, does anyone know the answer to Trevor's actual dumb question? Remember this all started when he was looking for a way to type in a specific size for a graphic in pages and immediately use the arrow keys to move the graphic into position without using the mouse? Well, that's what we're trying to find out. So let me know how that works out. And if you've got a PowerPC, you know you've got to try this option escape thing for us. Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Security Bits with Bart Booth Shots. Uh, Not everything is bad news on the uh, security front this week.
3: I don't think so. I see fire extinguisher icons uh, on the whole. Grand, actually.
0: All right, good. Where are we going to start?
3: Uh, Let's start with some follow-up. So we have been talking about Zoom quite a bit. Um, They have been continuing their work to address the various criticisms and concerns about their platform. Uh, They've released 5.0, which has uh, tougher encryption, as in actually using proper AES-256, those kind of little subtle things. Hmm. Um, Last time, I decided not to answer you when you asked me to get detailed on exactly how they were dealing with the data flowing in different jurisdictions and stuff. Well, thankfully, more decided to do a deeper dive into exactly what the settings mean. And so there is a link in the show notes to their article explaining it.
0: So that was the, just to remind people, that was the part about where for a while there, your data may be going through China and now they've fixed it so that it's going through your own region.
3: Yeah. And so basically the difference is where the server dealing with stuff is versus where the actual bytes are going between the servers and the client. So obviously, if your client is in China, the, the, the bit from the server to them has to go to China because they're in China. It can't magically not go to China. The question right. is, where's the server in between you all? And if you choose to have that not be in China, it will not be in China. Great. So, yeah, no, it's well done. Basically, they did the right thing and it all makes sense. And I more have all the details if you'd like to dig in deeper. Perfect. Um The other thing I liked is that Steve Gibson on Security Now is continuing to track this story, and I sort of have my own gut reaction, and then I listen to Security Now, and I see if my gut reaction lines up with Steve's gut reaction, and my gut reaction was, this seems like a good progress. Steve was enthusiastic in his praise. He gave it a giant big thumbs up. To Zoom,
0: to the work Zoom has done. Yeah. Wow, great.
3: So I thought, okay, so it's not just me. At least one other person agrees. Um, and I say it's not just me. Zoom now have 300 million daily users.
0: I don't care who you are. You got to say that they've got some amazing technology, that n- this never fell over in a just, in a heap when it went from whatever number it was before to that kind of a number.
3: That's, that's astonishing. I mean, that's, yeah, hats off to them. Like their techies are good at their job.
0: And we don't have to take a shower after we use it anymore.
3: Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> all in all, two thumbs up. Yeah,
0: Yeah, stuff. great.
3: Um, the other thing that we obviously are tracking in terms of follow-up is the whole question of um, contact tracing apps. Right. That, that, is, that is the thing every country in the world is dealing with. Um, and last time we talked about how Google and Apple had gotten together to make an API which used clever crypto uh, to ensure that you could have you could know that you were in contact with people without there being a central database of everyone who's been everywhere and everyone who's been with everyone. So a distributed model where your privacy was protected. Um, and Apple have actually updated the API in response to some feedback. So they put it out to the community looking for feedback. They got some feedback. They made some tweaks. Nothing fundamental has changed. It's not. They haven't. It hasn't been a complete rethink. It's just a few tweaks around the edges. And one of the tweaks, actually, is a change in how they're describing the whole thing. Contact tracing sounds very, we're watching you, we're tracking you, kind of kind of a scary word. Uh, we're, and it's not actually that accurate either. Uh, so they've changed to exposure notification. And that, that is exactly what this is. It's not promising to trace every contact. It's promising to notify you of every exposure it knows about. That's more accurate and more fair. So that's, I think that's a good thing.
0: Right, absolutely. Is, um, by the way, Steve sent me a uh link. I haven't looked at it yet, but he says it's really good. It's a, a graphic by I think it's by the oatmeal that shows ooh. that shows how contract trace oh maybe I'm not sure it is, but the drawing looks like it. Ah, uh, maybe it isn't. But it's uh it's a graphic, it's a long graphic that shows all these uh, little funny drawings and stuff, and it's got little cartoons, so it might be a, a palatable method. I have I have not vetted it's uh, understanding the technology but i'm putting it in the show notes anyway it's from encase.me
3: yeah, no dude. that sounds good like it's i think it's it's well done tech it made sense to me steve gave it his thumbs up too on security now it, it, it's it's a good approach so they basically just tweaked it a bit around the edges uh, they've also promised that the whole thing will be turned off when the pandemic is officially declared as ended by the who I love that Um,
0: because because of the way they're doing it, that's the only way you can.
3: Yeah, exactly. And um, it's in the beta of iOS 13.5. So it's actually ahead of schedule as well, which is also really good. Um, And if you're curious as to how two tech giants were able to come together so quickly and so efficiently, uh, CNBC actually have the backstory of how this came to be, which may be curious in a human interest sort of way. Now, Ooh. our good friends at Celebrite, the grey hat security company, um, who are famous for having devices for hacking into iPhones, they they have a very unique approach to contact tracing. Uh, they are suggesting that governments buy their hacking tools to track their citizens. <laughs> okay, then that's, that's genius.
0: I heard a little bit about that, but it was it, it's as dirty as it sounds. It just it- looks. <laughs> horrible. Ugh. It's sort of like the whole reason the Google Apple solution needs to exist is because of people like Celebrate.
3: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, they sleep um, at and then the other giant big category of news around this is, of course, that every single country is now having to make a decision on this, right? Every government around the world is sitting in a boardroom somewhere six feet apart, trying to decide what are we as this little nation A, B or C going to do? And different countries are coming up with different things because on the one hand, as a scientist, more data, more good, right? If you're, if you're a doctor and you, you don't know anything about privacy, you don't care, all you know is I'm a doctor, I want information so I can give the best advice. You obviously want centralized, give me everything. But if this technology is going to work, it has to be widely deployed. I've seen estimates that it needs to be on 60% of phones to be any use. So if right. you scare the pants off people, they're not going to use it. So you need to find a balance between getting as much data as you can and giving as much trust as you can. So that's that's not easy. I'm glad I'm not being paid to make that choice.
0: Yeah. Uh, By the way, I'm going to make a quick shout out to the uh, to the listeners. Um, Bart's neighbor used a hedge trimmer to cut his Internet cable. So if you hear some audio breakup, that's why he's tethering from his phone right now. It was real quick, but just in case it gets worse.
3: Yeah, so I'm actually using a 3G dongle. Um, ah, okay. old, I found an old Huawei dongle. I kept it up because it's only 10 euro a month. I'm sort of glad nice. I have it. It's, it's it's helped me out a few times.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it sounds pretty good. Um, the The one thing that I find interesting about this from a technical perspective is, obviously this is a much better way to go than anything like what celebrate is trying to come up with. But they talk a lot about that really interviews with people is a better way to go. And I keep trying to picture why that's true. Cause if you asked me, who did I come in contact with in the last uh, week, it would be, uh, so there's a guy he has got a couple of Dobermans. He wears a red shirt sometimes. Uh, there was this guy with a couple of kids. One was a toddler. I think she had a pink dress on. How on earth am I going to be able to explain who I've talked to, who I've been near?
3: I, I think it's a yes and.
0: Well, they're saying that's a better way to do it, but it's impractical. So they're not. So, you know, they're doing that as much as they can. But it's still I just don't even understand uh, how how to get there.
3: I, I think it. I, as as, as, I, as I sort of heard from experts, it's basically a case that this the tech is not a panacea, and not having the tech isn't practical. So what you actually need is a good cooperation between humans and tech, which is usually how these things work, right? Humans with tools are better, just better. Yeah. We yeah. I'm going to
0: put one more. If people don't have fatigue on this, the best explanation I've heard of how the Apple uh, Google exposure notification will work was by Nate Langson on the text message podcast. And he explains the whole thing using two uh, two names that he chose as odd nicknames of people he actually knew when he was a kid, Jeff and Boat Shaped Head. And it's, okay. this, it's this hilarious explanation, but I I understood it much better after hearing about Jeff and Boat Shaped Head. So I'll put a link to that podcast ex- episode. Excellent.
3: Excellent. So country by country, everyone's going through it. So France and the UK are very much on the centralized, 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 and they're extremely cranky at Apple for not giving them special access to iOS to allow them to enable Bluetooth in the background. Mm-hmm. Um the UK is saying, oh, we're going ahead anyway. We don't care. Um, privacy experts are very concerned. Uh, we shall see how that works. Apparently, the app is due out in a few weeks. We shall see. Germany was on the Apple, sorry, not the Apple in France, the UK and France side of the equation. And they just did a complete U-turn and went, actually, no, let's do it the Apple way. So Germany is now on board with Apple's approach. But they're not it-
0: necessarily using Apple's Apple, the Apple Google method. They're on, they're on board that that's the right way to go.
3: Yes, yeah, so th- there is still some flux there, but they have they have shifted from being centralized, centralized to being actually, no, let's decentralize. So that's progress anyway. Uh, in the United States, the CDC has issued guidance, which is in line with Apple's approach. That's not the same as the CDC saying thou shalt use Apple and Google's API, but Apple and Google's API is in line with CDC guidance. Therefore, the CDC are not a barrier to states using Apple's API, which is good, good I think. Uh, U.S. Senators are working on a COVID-19 data privacy bill, uh, which is definitely relevant to this conversation. And then there was a poll that made an awful lot of news that half of Americans won't trust a contact tracing app. And if the magic number is 60, if half the people won't trust it, that sounds bad. Um, But... When you look at the actual polling questions the actual human beings were asked, they were very poorly worded. (laughs) And so it may be a case that you shouldn't put nearly as much stock in this as you might be tempted to. And I kind of like John Gruber's explanation of exactly what the problem with the questions were, because the question was phrased as if it was Google and Apple were going to be tracking you. (laughs) But actually, it's Google and Apple enabling your local health authority to make an app. And if you trust your local health authority, if you trust the CDC, if you trust the Irish equivalent of the CDC, the British equivalent of the CDC, that's actually where the trust needs to be, because they're going to be writing the app using Apple's API. So the question was wrong. Yeah. So that's good, because if the question was right, that would have been a worrying result. Uh, the Canadians haven't quite decided one way or the other, but there's I more have a good discussion on where discussions lay there. Um, as of this morning, uh, I first saw news coming across the wires that the Irish government have made the decision. They are going the Apple-Google route. So I will, within a few weeks, get to put my money where my mouth is. Good, I good. That's fantastic.
0: I, I'm yeah. working on a, a letter I'm going to send out to my family and friends to say, you know, when you get asked whether to do this, the short answer is say yes. I'll give you a a media, you know, a, 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 an executive summary why to say yes, then a medium summary, and then if you really want to hear a lot more about it, write to me and I'll tell you the rest of the story. I like it. Maybe I, like I should it. share that as a uh, form letter.
3: <laughs> might, might make a good blog post on potty.com.
0: Yeah, yeah, maybe. Wouldn't be seen as health advice, would it? I have to. Well, think I don't think that.
3: so because you're not telling. It, it, it's not about telling people how to take care of themselves. It's, you're not telling people if you do this, you won't get sick. It, it's it's very different. It's health adjacent, but it's not health advice. I mean, it's not a medicine.
1: I'm yeah.
0: treating you. Yeah. Here's why um, I trust it. Maybe.
3: Yeah, it's it's privacy is is, is what it's all about, really, isn't it? Um. Since you've already given lots of links to cool things, I had one I kind of like myself. I more basically had a guide to uh, basically, they sort of go into the what, the how, and the why, um, which I think are kind of what people care about about this whole topic. And the BBC's Real Story podcast, which is a weekly, hour-long, very in-depth podcast on a single topic. Well, their single topic was, is mass surveillance here to stay Hmm. thanks to the pandemic? So that, again, a detailed intelligent discussion hour-long serious stuff
0: oh yeah that was uh, another tip i heard on i think it was on the accidental tech podcast marco arment said so this is going to do a lot less in terms of tracking you than everything else on your phone like facebook okay
3: that's a really good way to put it because he's (laughs) absolutely right yes (laughs) Um, next bit of follow-up then is that the the pandemic obviously continues to have effects on the big social media companies, so Facebook are going to alert users when they have been exposed to fake news about COVID. Um, good. Facebook has also removed the pseudoscience category that they used to sell to targeted advertisers. Obviously good. But why did that ever exist? Why was it ever considered okay? <laughs>
0: That is such a good question. Like, crap ads.
3: You know? like, Unproven... These are people we think are are, are, are susceptible to fake science. Why, would you like to pay us to give you exposure to them?
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, exactly. It's like, snake oil salesman, click here.
3: Click here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad it's gone, but it's like. Okay, this explains why I have A such lot. issues with this company. Yeah. This should
2: never
0: have existed. Wow. wow. Yeah, that's,
3: that's yeah. horrible. Um, and if you would like to switch away from Zoom for reasons I don't understand, Facebook have added uh, Messenger Rooms to compete with FaceTime and Zoom, and also WhatsApp Beta now expands group calling to eight people. So, bigger groups. Uh, That... Completely different topic then for just a moment. Um, Google are continuing the fight against dangerous browser extensions. Um, they basically have updated their Google Chrome web store policies. So it's getting harder for people to put their extensions in the store, which means that if you get your extensions from the store, they have had more betting, etc. So it's good to tighten those rules so that the store is more trustworthy. But again, less less is more. You know, get grab the extensions you need. Not on a whim, would be my advice. Right. And then very finally, some very, very literal follow-up. Like, we mentioned last time that there's this bizarre conspiracy theory that 5G is somehow causing the virus. Because,
0: (laughs) what? Wait, because there's a pseudoscience category for advertising, Bart. That's why.
3: (laughs) Probably. Well, I mean, it was a bizarre, bizarre concept, and it made no sense to either of us, and we were both scratched our heads wildly but we weren't the only ones the good people at the reset podcast from vox media have an entire 20 minute episode explaining the origins of this particular conspiracy theory and where where, how it bubbled up to the surface and where where it festered so if you're curious as to how on earth that came to be you now can know in 20 minutes from reset so that's all our follow-up done all right we have one deep dive um There is a bug in iOS, in the iOS mail app, which is obviously a fairly big deal. Uh, It has a fire extinguisher next to the headline and the TLDR, don't panic, there's no immediate danger and a patch is on the way. Yep. So with that out of the way, we can go a little bit deeper. So security researchers found a pair of bugs in Apple's mail app on iOS that could cause an app to crash by simply trying to load a maliciously crafted email. So just the mail comes in and the mail app tries to read the mail and that's enough to trigger the crash. Um, Now, the important thing is you can't use those bugs to actually exploit the device. Because Apple has these layers and layers of security, this bug only gets through the first layer of the onion. It doesn't get you into the point where you can actually do malicious things. And that's how iOS security is supposed to work, right? It's a moat and a wall and a portcullis, Lots of layers of security. And this only gets through the outer layer. Now, now. Can
0: I can I wrap for a second? Isn't that often the case? Is that it's it's chaining bugs together that gets you get you into be able to do more nefarious things?
3: In iOS, with the amount of layers of security there are, I would go so far as to say these days it's almost universally the case that you need to chain three, four, five. I okay. think the last pwn to own the winning iOS bugs, had seven bug chains. Jeez.
0: Okay. Doesn't does so make the, it zero, but...
3: Right, but the, again, the amount of energy and effort it takes to hack iOS today versus iOS five years ago versus iOS 10 years ago, it, it's astonishing how much more robust that it is. Yeah, it, you know, even Fort Knox isn't 100% secure. Mm-hmm. But, like, really, this is iOS security working the way it should. Because in early versions of iOS, this kind of an exploit would have been a much bigger deal and we would have been desperately waiting for Apple to patch this because, well, someone sends me an email and they can hack my phone. Whereas now it's just, yeah, OK, Apple need to patch this before someone finds a chain to go from here to the end. But that gives us more than enough time for Apple to fix this and the patch is already in the latest betas. So it will be fixed when 13.5 comes out. Uh the whole thing revolves around the processing of mime data, which is how you make attachments to email and the researchers probably to try get attention in a time when it's not easy to get attention in the media in, unless you're small um they oversold what they had found, frankly <laughs> um they basically said they had evidence that this was this this was being exploited in the wild and frankly their evidence doesn't stack up at all
0: apple actually uh, responded much, much, which much, is much
3: much much more
0: apple actually responded which is rare right yeah
3: apple pushed back hard yeah you yeah, know apple pushed back hard they were like a you can't exploit this to actually you can't use this to exploit anything so users are safe and b there is no evidence this was exploited in the wild and i think apple are correct and it's not just apple saying that third-party independent researchers are on Apple's side here. These guys are circumstantial evidence, which has two explanations. Explanation one, this is what MIME data looks like. Explanation two, this is an attempt at hacking. Sorry, but Occam's razor here. (laughs) This is normal MIME stuff. So, My
0: impression of the way this was covered, because as soon as I saw it, whenever I see something like this, it sounds so flamey. My first reaction is, okay, let me see how many sources I can find. And Basically, every single tech uh, journalist was reporting on it and all to the same source, of course. But, um, you know, when it's that many, you're kind of like, well, maybe it is real if it's everywhere, not just some janky site. Uh, But the problem is right now the news is has two things being reported total. What's going on with the virus and how is that affecting business? Those are the only two stories there are. So a story I could put out a story about, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. On Facebook, a typical post of mine of something normal might get, I don't know, 10 or 15 likes if it's pretty good. If it's got a baby or a puppy in it, it it might get up to 30. I posted a picture of my dog looking at a door and I got 75 likes. Hmm. (laughs) so it's just like whatever you can talk about that's not that other topic oh man let's report on that hurry hurry this is great it's something else to talk about that's my theory anyway
3: and no one has ever gotten before with apple clickbait
0: (laughs) good point good point
3: yeah yeah so that put those two dynamics together uh yeah
0: it's gold it's gold i tell you
3: Okay, so on to action alerts, Um, we have two here. So Naked Security headlined this one, patch now, exclamation point. Nah. Microsoft issued unexpected office fix. So I think that's a pretty good reason to patch the old office there and uh, let that do its thing. And then Adobe issued what Naked Security described as a bumper set of patches for Magento, which isn't all that important to our listeners, but uh, Bridge and Illustrator is more likely to be of use to us. So patchy, patchy, patch, patch. All right. Moving on to worthy warnings. Um. So Nintendo had a problem where they have their like modern Nintendo accounts. Uh, but in the past, they had these other IDs that were associated with an earlier online product, which I think was related to the Wii U console. Hmm. And they linked the two accounts together. And people who had the old style of account, they basically the old style accounts appear to have been leaked, or at least 160,000 of them have. And people were able to use those old accounts to get back into people's new accounts. And unless you actually have one of the old consoles, there's no way to manage the old account. So it was kind of a bit of a mess. Uh, but what Nintendo have done is they've disconnected the link between those two accounts. And they're also advising people to turn on two-factor authentication on their Nintendo accounts, since those accounts are now connected to monies, and you don't want bad old leaked passwords connected to your money. That's not a good thing.
0: It sounded a little bit like you said, turn off two-factor authentication. I'm sure what you said was to f- turn on two-factor authentication.
3: Definitely what I, <laughs> yes, definitely. Okay. I, I may have been a speaker, um, I've been known to do such silly things, but yes. We'll on, call it
0: Skype on, today. On. <laughs> or Internet. Yes.
3: Um there is a scam doing the rounds. Uh particularly on Zoom, but it could be doing the rounds anywhere. Basically HR meeting and they're basically trying to fish for your passwords for Zoom by pretending to be HR threatening to fire you because of stuff. Yeah. So beware, that is a scam that we know is doing the rounds. And there's also a new variant of the sextortion scam we've talked about a few times flaring up again as people are working from home and if you're wondering why another story crossed my radar um these kind of scammers are making up to a hundred thousand dollars a month on this stuff so that's why the emails keep coming it's making people filthy rich
2: mm. by being Yeah.
3: You know, bad people so I want to
0: give you big, big props for this. You know, we hear a lot of stuff and 95% of the time we never get hit with what you tell us about, but then once in a while is when it's just, you're just so happy that you're always listening. Uh, a buddy of mine wrote to me and said, hey, Allison, I got to call you. I got this weird email. I don't know if it's a scam or if it's real, but it says that these people have been watching my webcam and they've seen me doing things and they want me to pay them in Bitcoin. And I wrote back, it's fake. <laughs> and I was it's like, fake it was it was word for word what you had just told us about it like 2 days before and i was like yes knew the answer
3: yeah and it's really really doing the rounds because i had a i had about two or three people ask me the same question so if if you're getting it from random people and i'm getting it from random people it really must be doing the rounds yeah and 100,000 dollars a month i can see why <laughs> pretty good reason yeah um if you're curious Google's Project Zero has released details of a whole bunch of bugs that Apple patched recently. So mm. if you haven't applied Apple's mm. recent OS patches, you really should do it now because there were actually some quite nasty so-called zero-click bugs. In other words, simply having an email arrive will trigger the bug, that kind of thing. Mm. So definitely make sure your, iOS, your, your Apple OS, is not just iOS, all of your Apple OSs are fully patched. Um, that is definitely not a good thing. Uh, 309 million Facebook users' phone numbers are found online for sale on the dark web. The good news, bad news on this. Good news, no passwords, bad news, more than enough information to do very convincing yet automated phishing scams. So be extra vigilant just because someone knows about your Facebook stuff doesn't mean it's Facebook. Very, very similar. Kino Map which is a fitness tracking service, apparently. Um, I'm not one I'm familiar with, but they had 42 million users and they managed to lose all of their records by having their database on the internet without a username or password protecting it. That, that was really clever of them. And again, the danger here is convincing phishing scams against those 42 million people. Um, and if you own a Netamo security camera, you should patchy, patchy, patch, patch, because there were nasty bugs that they have fixed. And then, special attention to our WordPress users. There is a nasty vulnerability in an obsolete but popular theme called OneTouch, Touch, and it is being actively exploited in the wild to take over WordPress sites. They basically install an extra admin account for themselves. Oh, so uh, you,
0: you said One Touch, but your show notes say One Tone.
3: Uh, I'm sure my show notes are right because I copy and pasted. So One Tone it is.
0: Uh, okay, good.
3: Uh, and there is a, I guess, a related story. WordPress itself got a critical patch. Uh, but of course, if your site is properly configured, it will have automatically installed itself and emailed you to say, hi, I'm, I'm updated. You're I got good. one of those. How awesome. those oh, yeah. It's
0: like, I did no work. I went back and did this for you. <laughs> yeah,
3: love it. Uh, and then just, uh, I mean, Ruby developers are being targeted here. So special attention if you write Ruby code. But I guess this could happen in other programming languages too. So we know the idea of typo squatting for URLs, right? Where you have a mm-hmm. URL that's like Google with a common typo, so maybe one too few O's or something, and the bad guys go and buy up those typo squatting domains, and they put fake sites up and hope to trick people. Well, the new variant of this has come out where people are putting, op- you know, libraries onto something called Ruby Gems, which is sort of a repository of Ruby useful tools. And they're a typo away from common library names. So imagine if it was a J, the JavaScript world, it would be like jQuery instead of jQuery or something like that. Uh. And so you need to be careful when you're installing Ruby gems that you're actually installing the gem you think you are from you know, the really popular open source thing you want and not some typo. Mm. And that could happen in other programming languages too. So I think it's a case yeah. of programmers everywhere. Beware when you're downloading third-party stuff that you're not getting a typoed version because that could really land you in trouble. Hmm. So, notable news a strange new iOS bogus surface that causes devices to freeze when they read certain sequences of emoji. Um, At the moment, this has happened before, right?
1: This has happened.
3: Yeah. So much so that we have a name for it. We call them text bombs. Mm. They crash iOS devices. I think last time they caused a complete crash. Now they're causing a hang. So, the only thing you can do is reboot your phone, which is mildly annoying. Also being described as word of death, which seems perhaps a little over the top. Yeah.
0: I heard it was the Italian flag or something like that caused it this time.
3: It's it's not only the Italian flag. It's certain. uh, I think it's a Hindi character followed by some emoji, one of which is the Italian flag. Hmm. It's quite quite. These things are always very obscure. Yeah. You kind of wonder how they ever get discovered. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Uh, There's been another bypass found for uh, iPhone's screen time protection. Um, An eight year old found a way around screen time limits, preventing (laughs) them from watching YouTube. (laughs) So obviously a hacker in the making here. Yes, let's get um, get her
0: a scholarship, right?
3: (laughs) I completely agree with that approach. So I'm sure Apple will patch that. But if you're using screen time to limit what your kids are doing online, do bear in mind that there's another little bypass found. So they may be watching more YouTube than you wanted. Um, You might remember many, many, many months ago that Jack Dorsey's had his Twitter hijacked, and it was because the bad guys were using SMS spoofing to tweet as him. And that's because SMS is a giant big mess of insecurity, as we all know. And Twitter still had this annoying API where you could text message a number and have it come up as your Twitter because the from address, the from number would tie it to your account. They've turned that off in almost all countries, the exception being some African countries where cell phones are basically the Internet, and they would just Mm -hmm. break everything if they turned it off in those countries. But for most of the world, that very dangerous feature is gone. So thank you.
0: By the way, I did what I uh, like to do, which is assume it's a girl unless otherwise notified instead of the default, assume it's a boy until otherwise notified. And I was right. It was a a little uh, eight-year-old girl. I thought you'd read ahead. No, no. uh -uh. I just did what what I do. (laughs)
3: excellent um we talked a long time ago uh, well 18 months i believe um about how dumb it was that epic was putting fortnite out as a third party android app so that people would be encouraged to install stuff from outside the store because that would get them into a really dangerous habit well that dangerous habit isn't needed to play fortnite anymore because epic games have put fortnite onto the official google play store They've yeah. done it with bad grace and much crankiness, but nonetheless, <laughs> end result, same. You can now play the most popular game out there, as far as I can tell, without sideloading apps onto Android. That's good. Yeah, and then finally, if you'd like to name and shame your ISP, um, Cloudflare have done something to try push a really important security feature You as an end user don't get to do anything about, uh, but your ISP really, really should be doing something about. But the problem is, how do you know that you should prod your ISP or how do you know that you should name and shame your ISP on Twitter? So there's a thing called the Border Gateway Protocol uh, or BGP, and it's the algorithm that actually routes Internet traffic between ISPs. So when you're browsing the web, all of your traffic goes to your ISP and then from your ISP, it goes across the Internet. And the the across-the-internet bit is what's handled by BGP. And if an evil ISP somewhere publishes bogus rules, they can intercept traffic. And that's happened a few times, supposedly by accident, where all traffic accidentally gets routed to Russian security services and things like that. And there's a new tool to prevent that kind of BGP spoofing. And unfortunately, not all ISPs have bought into it. Um, So Cloudflare have made a tool where you can test if your ISP is in the good or the bad column, and they give you nice, easy buttons where you can tweet your tweet and not mention your ISP to help put pressure on them to do the right thing. So you know, might be worth seeing whether your ISP is one of the good guys or not. Am I talking to myself? No, nope, no, nope, I'm just being nope.
0: quiet. <laughs> no, you. No, you. You didn't recognize me.
3: So, some top tips best file transfer services in 2020 from iMore. this is a very useful list because a lot of people now need to share files with people they used to sit next to so this is a nice rundown of the free services out there and their security and so forth so that's useful and some useful advice from naked security zero click mobile phone attacks and how to avoid them that's always good to be read up on these malware techniques um Excellent explainers. Uh, again, this sort of suggested reading, really, but nonetheless interesting. So, uh, Kirk McElhern over on Intigo has a good explainer of exactly how online ads can endanger your security. Uh, so, why ad blocking may be, you know, why you might consider it from a security point of view as opposed to an annoyance point of view. And then, two very similar stories that are just amazing. I think they're just fantastic reads. So, there's a now patched bug in iOS. That was discovered by security researchers who kept it to themselves because it made their security hacking life easier um, but basically it's about how they were able to get by Apple's sandbox through some really clever XML hackery fascinating story, and the security researcher tells the story in such a human friendly way that I think anyone who listens to this segment would be able to follow along and understand. The subtlety of how this kind of thing is possible and how hard it is to make something completely secure. Yeah. Um, I found that a fascinating read. Um, I, 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 not short, but I enjoyed every minute of it. And not quite as well written, but still really darn good, actually is a similar deep dive into how a recently patched bug that gave people access to your webcam in Safari, that that sort of made the news about two or three weeks ago when Apple patched it, so it was responsibly disclosed. But now that it's been disclosed, the guy who found it was able to tell his story. And again, a fascinating insight into the mindset of how security researchers go about trying to find these bugs. And he, I mean, he started off with a wonderful quote. Basically, he says, you know, one of his security mentors told him that, you know, Security researchers is about finding the implicit assumptions, breaking them, and seeing what happens.
0: <laughs> That's interesting.
3: Yeah. So it's very fascinating look at how he went about finding his bug. Really, again, not quite as human-friendly as the first one. So if you're only going to read one, read the first one in the show notes. Okay. But if you enjoyed the first one, you'll enjoy the second one. And then just because it's cool, there's no reason to panic about this. There's no reason to light your hair on fire. But security researchers have found a way that they can get data out of air-gapped machines by changing the fan speed. Just another cool data exfiltration. And why is that not something to worry about? Well, how many of us have air-gapped machines in our house which have information so sensitive that we're relying on the fact that they're not connected to the internet and that somehow someone could break into our house and install microphones so that they could get stuff through the air gap between the machine whose fan is ramping up and there.
0: So it actually would have been quite interesting to my job.
3: With your work hat on? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like uh, what was it? We recently had one where the blinking the cap lock key on and off could be used to slowly send information if you could get a webcam in a place. There's been yeah. loads of these sort of tricks. I, against-
0: I have some friends who would be interested in this. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Former work colleagues.
3: I just think it's really cool. I, yeah. I think it's like, that is so clever. Um, but thankfully, I don't have to panic, which is good. Palette cleansers. Um one of the features in Zoom is that you can have a fake background so you don't have to tidy your room. Well, there's a whole bunch of Star Wars ones available on StarWars.com. So <laughs> join a meeting from a galaxy far, far away. I
0: downloaded a bunch from uh, the Adams Family, the animated version. So now when I'm oh, in a nice. Zoom meeting, I've got like Cousin It sitting on my shoulder, that kind of thing.
3: Very cute. I like it. Um, the wonderful CGP Grey has issued, has done one of his videos and he explains a way of thinking about how to manage the unusualness of life at the moment called Spaceship You. It's just, I just thought it was really well done. So it's a video. Um, so, yeah.
0: There's nothing better than a CGP Grey video. Always.
3: Exactly. <laughs> and then you have a third palate cleanser for us.
0: Yeah, this was really fun. It's a, uh, it, well, I figured it would be great for BART because it's got physics in it and Lego. What's BART's two favorite things? Physics and Lego, right?
3: <laughs> that That's pretty high up there. All right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's, a, it's a Lego that uses a concept called tensegrity, which I'd never heard of. Basically something that's in tension and compression at the same time, I think would be a way to describe it. Is that right? Uh, sure. Uh, and uh, anyway, it's a little Lego you can build that will uh it's it looks like this thing is floating in space by chains that should be pulling it down, not holding it up. It's really, really cool. Anyway, there's a link to it on org. Yeah.
3: And it's when I looked at it first, before I watched the video of how it was built, it looked like it shouldn't be possible. It looked impossible. And then as soon as I saw the step by step instructions, I was like, oh There it is. They're just playing with my head. <laughs> but of course they are, because it has to be possible. Yeah, That's
0: it's what's cool. awesome. It's really awesome. Well, we made it through, Bart. Excellent. Only one stop for it's internet okay. pause, but uh, we made it through.
3: Yeah, most annoyingly, it's a holiday weekend here, so I can't even log a call with my ISP until Tuesday. <sighs> We're trying to figure out. Yeah, I know. How do you survive lockdown with really, really bad internet? This is going to be a deeply unpleasant
0: yeah. oh, day and
3: a half, at least. At least yeah no idea how quick our isp is going to be to get us back on the air
0: so they don't work weekends and holidays huh
3: well i rang their phone number and it went our our support lines are closed oh.
0: right. that's yeah. so rude oh i it wish I, so send, I wish i could send you a cup of internet
3: <laughs> <laughs> i seem to have a cup but it's just about a cup
0: yeah all right well I uh, i guess we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks uh internet willing
3: Internet willing indeed. And until then, stay patched so you stay secure.
0: Well, on that note, we're going to wind this things up for this week. Don't forget to send in your dumb questions, comments, and suggestions. Wait, 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 wait. No, don't forget to send in your 15-year contributions. Your audio files tell us something funny, something exciting, something you liked, uh, nothing you didn't like. I only want to hear the good stuff for the 15-year anniversary party. Anyway, you can do that by emailing me at allison at podfeet.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Remember, everything good starts at podfeet.com. You want to become a patron? Go to podfeet.com slash Patreon. Want to uh, give a one-time donation at PayPal? Podfeet.com slash PayPal. Want to join our Facebook group? Podfeet.com slash Facebook. Want to join our Slack community? Lots of fun happening over there. Podfeet.com slash Slack. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways, especially on the 17th, for the big party we're going to have for the 15-year anniversary.